The following podcast contains audio extracted from videos on the Harry Potter Theory YouTube channel. Hey everyone, welcome to another installment of Harry Potter Theory. Today, we're going to be discussing notorious werewolf Fenrir Greyback, digging into his past and uncovering some things that you may have never known. Believe it or not, once upon a time, Fenrir Greyback was just a regular wizard. He didn't have sharp teeth, long yellow nails, whiskers, or hair sprouting from every part of his body. He also didn't transform into a horrible, dangerous magical creature when a full moon filled the sky. There is speculation out there pertaining to whether or not Greyback was ever a wizard at all, but as it happens, Rowling has confirmed that only wizards are able to transform into werewolves after being bitten by one, and that muggles simply die. This, if it wasn't clear already, confirms the fact that Greyback was indeed a wizard. In fact, though information on him is sparse, the available evidence would suggest that Greyback was perhaps even once a student at Hogwarts, just like Harry, Ron, and Hermione. This fact would explain his magical skills, his connections within the Death Eaters, and his hatred of normal wizards. But on one fateful day, presumably after his wizarding education had finished, Wizard Greyback, who likely was already of dubious morality, had an encounter with a werewolf where he was bitten. At this moment, Fenrir was infected with lycanthropy by the unnamed werewolf, a magical affliction that transforms witches and wizards into werewolves. One who is infected with lycanthropy is henceforth known as a lycanthrope. There are two ways to become a lycanthrope, but regardless of how it is contracted, it is still considered to be a curse, for which there is no cure, that will completely alter the victim's existence. The first and most common way to contract lycanthropy is through being bitten by a werewolf, though in some circumstances, the bite can, will kill you. You must also be bitten by a werewolf in their wolfish form at the time of the full moon, ensuring that the werewolf's saliva mingles with the victim's blood. And the second way is via the Lycacomia curse, which apparently requires no werewolves at all. Though inheriting lycanthropy doesn't kill you, and to some the prospect of becoming a werewolf may be exciting, I can assure you that it is no easy existence. The stigma in the wizarding world surrounding werewolves is immense, and from the moment you contract this curse, it's unlikely that you will ever be treated the same. Many werewolves live very solitary lives, as allowing people to become closer to you only puts their lives in danger. Once infected with lycanthropy, the victim will turn from a man into a werewolf every month during the full moon. The transformation itself has been described as exceedingly painful, and once transformed, the wizard in question will completely lose their sense of right and wrong. From the point of transformation, they are completely unaware of their actions. For these reasons, the Ministry of Magic developed the Werewolf Code of Conduct in 1637. A Werewolf Code of Conduct was developed in 1637, which werewolves were supposed to sign, promising not to attack anyone, but to lock themselves up securely every month. Unsurprisingly, nobody signed the code, as nobody was prepared to walk into the ministry and admit to being a werewolf, a problem from which the later werewolf registry also suffered. 
For years, this werewolf registry, on which every werewolf was supposed to enter their name and personal details, has remained incomplete and unreliable, because so many of the newly bitten sought to conceal their condition and escape the inevitable shame and exile. The werewolf code of conduct might have had good intentions, but it also required a werewolf to out their status and face the consequences. From the moment they registered their name, they would face an immediate loss of both rights and status. Werewolves have been shunted between the beast and being divisions of the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures for years, because nobody could make up their minds whether a werewolf should be classified as a human or bestial. Unsurprisingly, when Fenrir Greyback was bitten, he had no intentions of registering his werewolf status with the Ministry. Fenrir loathed transforming into a werewolf each month, and for a long time felt as though he was living a cursed existence. But as time went on, Fenrir's perspective on his condition began to shift, one day realizing that his condition was a gift and not a curse at all. The lack of understanding and empathy from the outside world toward his condition drove him to anger, anger which he used as fuel to get back at the world that had rejected him. Instead of accepting a life as an outcast, he embraced his condition and made it his goal to create enough werewolves to dominate the wizarding world. His goal was simple, infect as many people as possible. Fenrir Greyback is perhaps the most savage werewolf alive today. He regards it as his mission in life to bite and to contaminate as many people as possible. He wants to create enough werewolves to overcome the wizards. Voldemort has promised him prey in return for his services. Greyback specializes in children, bite them young he says, and raise them away from their parents, raise them to hate normal wizards. It's also worth noting that, as far as werewolves go, Greyback was particularly savage. While most werewolves only unintentionally bit people during their transformed state, Greyback went out of his way to bite people even in his human form, completely cognizant of his behavior and brutality. His sheer hatred for humanity meant that no one, man, woman, or child, was safe. In fact, Greyback had a penchant for biting children. Because Greyback skirted so closely on the border of man and werewolf for so many years, he eventually began to resemble a werewolf even while in his human form. Greyback's attitude and devotion to the werewolf cause eventually prompted him to become a leader in the werewolf community, with him and his pack of werewolves wreaking all sorts of havoc across Britain during the 1960s. But despite leading a revolution of his own, Fenrir Greyback was at this stage recruited by the Death Eaters, who were seeking all manners of dark creatures to help them overthrow the Ministry. Greyback didn't join them because he believed in their cause, but instead because it gave him greater access to potential victims, as well as an additional channel of attack against the Ministry. It's also worth mentioning that Fenrir was never given true Death Eater status, for the very fact that he was a lycanthrope. The stigma in the wizarding community toward werewolves was not exclusive to the good guys, and despite loathing werewolves, Voldemort recognized that Fenrir was a powerful weapon. Voldemort knew that he would be able to take advantage of Fenrir's notoriety to help control the wizarding population and escalate his own rise to power. It didn't matter to Voldemort that he was a werewolf, not really. He held some stigma towards him, which is why he would have never made him a Death Eater, but Voldemort's real enemies were Muggleborns, Halfbloods, 
muggles and blood traitors. Fenrir wasn't the only follower of Voldemort that wasn't a pure blood wizard either. He enlisted giants, dementors, and all other manners of dark creatures to help bring down the ministry and the good guys. Voldemort was manipulative, and he basically did whatever it took to get to power the fastest. If people were willing to work for him under the guise that they were somehow important, he would certainly let that happen. It was a win-win for him. Voldemort began to use Fenrir's notoriety to instill fear into the hearts of his enemies, threatening to send the horrifying werewolf after their children, who he had a propensity for killing. In the year 1965, likely before Voldemort had enlisted his services, Greyback was brought in for questioning by the Ministry of Magic to discuss an attack on two muggle children that had resulted in their deaths. While being questioned by a room full of Ministry officials, Greyback pleaded ignorance, claiming to be a muggle tramp who was amazed to have found himself in a room full of wizards talking about dead children. His filthy clothing and lack of wand was sufficient evidence enough for most to believe him, his saving grace being the inadequacy and ill-maintenance of the werewolf registry, which did not feature his name. However, there was one committee member, Lyle Lupin, who noticed physical peculiarities on Greyback consistent with a werewolf. This prompted him to ask the committee that Greyback be kept in detention until the next full moon, which was just one day away. The other committee members mutually agreed that this cautionary measure was unnecessary, and at this stage, Greyback began taunting Lupin. In his anger, Lupin began describing werewolves as soulless, evil, and deserving of nothing but death, something that Greyback would never forget. Following Lupin's outburst, he was ordered out of the room, and Greyback was subsequently released. However, before the wizard who escorted him out of the inquiry was able to cast a memory charm on Greyback, erasing the muggle tramp's memory, Greyback overpowered him and fled, along with three other werewolves. From this day, Greyback began plotting his revenge of Lyle Lupin, the wizard who was so outspoken about him deserving nothing but death. One fateful night, Greyback forced his way through the window into the Lupin family home and attacked Lyle's son, Remus, who wasn't even five years old yet. Greyback's attack of Lyle's son was consistent with his previous behavior involving the targeting of children. Lyle awoke to a kerfuffle in his family home and headed straight for his son's room, where he had to cast powerful spells in order to get rid of Greyback. But unfortunately for the family, it was too late. Before Lyle intervened, Greyback had succeeded in infecting Lyle's son Remus with lycanthropy. This of course meant that Lyle's own son had become a werewolf. It was never Greyback's intention to kill Remus, he knew exactly what he was doing when he infected him. His actions resulted in the ultimate revenge against the man who so openly expressed that all werewolves were deserving of nothing but death. Remus's parents took him to various healers in order to cure him of his condition, but unfortunately, until the discovery of the Wolfsbane potion, there was nothing that could even remotely suppress the curse. I was a very small boy when I received the bite. My parents tried everything, but in those days there was no cure. The potion that Professor Snape has been making for me is a very recent discovery. It makes me safe, you see. As long as I take it in the week preceding the full moon, I keep my mind when I transform. 
I'm able to curl up in my office, a harmless wolf, and wait for the moon to wane again. Before the wolfsbane potion was discovered, however, I became a fully-fledged monster once a month. It seemed impossible that I would be able to come to Hogwarts. Other parents weren't likely to want their children exposed to me. Remus's infection with lycanthropy meant that he too would live a cursed existence, a solitary life full of judgement. It was only thanks to Albus Dumbledore, who arranged special accommodations for Remus, that he was able to attend Hogwarts. Content with exacting his revenge upon Lyle, Greyback continued with his savagery for quite some time. Eventually, the Ministry caught on, and finally began to acknowledge that Greyback was indeed a werewolf and that he was exceedingly dangerous. In response to the activities of Greyback and his pack of werewolves, the Ministry failed the wizarding population once again by merely putting up a wanted poster. Greyback was never caught during the First Wizarding War, which meant that for many, many years, him and his pack of werewolves terrorized the wizarding population. However, after Voldemort's defeat in 1981, Greyback, like many others, presumed that Voldemort was dead and never made any attempts to find him. No longer protected by the safety net of Voldemort and his cause, Greyback and his werewolves retreated into the shadows, at least for a little while. When Voldemort finally returned in 1995, Greyback rejoined his cause and resumed his duties performing dirty work for the Dark Lord. Greyback's notoriety was a particularly valuable asset for Voldemort, as the prospect of facing a terrifying cannibalistic werewolf would strike fear into the hearts of even the most fearless witches and wizards. But it wasn't just his notoriety that served a purpose, Greyback was personally involved in many conflicts over the course of the Second Wizarding War. Shortly after the Battle of the Department of Mysteries, Greyback raided Diagon Alley and kidnapped wandmaker Garrick Ollivander. It was during this time that he also, along with some other Death Eaters, waged an attack on the Muggles by destroying the Millennium Bridge in London. Following that, he made a visit to Borgen and Burks along with Draco Malfoy, where they threatened Mr. Borgen for his compliance in the scheme to transport Death Eaters into Hogwarts via the Vanishing Cabinets. Following that, Greyback terrorized the Montgomery family by attacking and subsequently killing her five-year-old son on the orders of the Death Eaters. By this point in time, Greyback had formed the new habit of eating his victims after killing them, all while remaining in his human form. This fact is a testament to Greyback's savagery, as most werewolves had no desire to consume human flesh outside of their wolf form. On June 30th, 1997, Greyback joined the Death Eaters in their invasion of Hogwarts, eventually finding their way to the Astronomy Tower where Albus Dumbledore was located and later killed. Is that you, Fenrir? asked Dumbledore. That's right, rasped the other. Pleased to see me, Dumbledore? No, I cannot say that I am. Fenrir Greyback grinned, showing pointed teeth. Blood trickled down his chin and he licked his lips slowly obscenely. Following Dumbledore's death at the hands of Severus Snape, the Battle of the Astronomy Tower ensued, a battle where Greyback was able to attack and scar the face of Bill Weasley. Fortunately for Bill, however, Greyback was not in his wolf form at the time of the attack, which meant that he was not infected with any sort of lycanthropy. After attacking Bill, Greyback set his sights on Harry, who countered with a full-body bind curse, paralyzing him. After the battle, Greyback was captured along with some of his fellow Death Eaters, 
and subsequently sent to Azkaban. However, his imprisonment didn't last long as he escaped just one month later. Following this and the subsequent fall of the Ministry of Magic, Greyback joined the Snatchers, an organization of bounty hunters formed by Lord Voldemort, where he assumed a position of leadership. Along with the other Snatchers, Greyback scoured the countryside looking for fugitive Muggleborns, blood traitors, and others who opposed Lord Voldemort's cause. While operating as a Snatcher, Greyback's first successful bounty was finding and capturing Dirk Creswell, Ted Tonks, Dean Thomas, and Goblins Griphook and Gornuck. Dean and Griphook were captured and imprisoned, while Dirk, Ted, and Gornuck were murdered. Following this, however, Greyback and his gang would find a much more valuable group of fugitives, a group comprised of none other than Ron Weasley, Hermione Granger, and Harry Potter. Suspecting that these three were in fact the fabled trio, but not being able to confirm it, Greyback and the Snatchers brought Harry and gang to Malfoy Manor with the expectation that Lucius, Narcissa, Bellatrix, or Draco would be able to identify Harry and reward them. Just before being captured by the Snatchers, Hermione successfully hit Harry with a stinging jinx, deforming his face. This made Harry nearly unrecognizable. When Bellatrix Lestrange spotted Godric Gryffindor's sword among the captives' possessions, she went to reclaim her sword, which she believed to be in her vault at Gringotts. However, this was much to the Snatchers' dismay. The Snatchers, who believed that this item now belonged to them, protested her taking it, which resulted in Bellatrix defeating all four of them. It's unclear what exactly happened next, but it's safe to assume that Greyback was punished by Voldemort, along with Bellatrix and the Malfoys, for letting Harry and gang escape. The next major event where we see Greyback is the Battle of Hogwarts, where he relished in all of the bloodshed. As far as we know, the only suspected fatality as a result of Greyback was Hogwarts student Lavender Brown, who he savaged before being repelled by Hermione Granger and finished off by Sybil Trelawney. Two bodies fell from the balcony overhead, as they reached the ground, a grey blur that Harry took for an animal sped four-legged across the hall to sink its teeth into one of the fallen. No, shrieked Hermione, and with a deafening blast from her wand, Fenrir Greyback was thrown backward from the feebly struggling body of Lavender Brown. He hit the marble banisters and struggled to return to his feet. Then, with a bright white flash and a crack, a crystal ball fell on top of his head, and he crumpled to the ground and did not move. It's a little hard to interpret what exactly happened to Fenrir after this, as his fate could be interpreted differently from book to film. In the film, Fenrir is blasted by Hermione's stunning spell and sent flying off into the ravine below, presumably to his death. However, this scene from the film actually contradicts the book, as in the book, Greyback shows up again later in the battle. Hermione did hit him with a blasting curse, but it never killed him, and probably didn't send him flying as far as is shown in the film. Though the above passage seemed to depict the end of Greyback, chapter 36 reveals that this is in fact not the case, as ultimately, Ron and Neville were responsible for taking down the notorious werewolf. Harry saw Ron and Neville bringing down Fenrir Greyback, Aberforth stunning Rookwood, Arthur and Percy flooring Thickness, and Lucius and Narcissa Malfoy running through the crowd, not even attempting to fight, screaming for their son. And this is the last we hear of him, but what does brought down really mean? 
Did Ron and Neville fire a killing curse? What did they do to him? In my opinion, Ron and Neville would not have killed him, simply stunned him, which leaves his fate fairly open-ended. I've got two theories for what happened to him. The first possibility is that Greyback was simply picked up off of the ground, still stunned, after the battle, put to trial, and sent to Azkaban. And it would be in Azkaban that Greyback would spend the remainder of his years. But something about this just doesn't seem right to me. I can't explain why, but I think that Greyback escaped. He's an elusive werewolf that lurked in the shadows for most of his life. Furthermore, being a werewolf, he was particularly resilient and would have been able to take much more of a beating than, say, a normal wizard. After the Battle of Hogwarts, I think he slipped away and regrouped with other werewolves, taking a step back and biding their time before ultimately plotting to attack the wizarding world once again. And that pretty much concludes the life story of Fenrir Greyback, for now. What do you guys think? Did I miss anything? What surprised you about Fenrir's history? Be sure to leave a comment down below. Also, if you enjoy the content, please be sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel. Until next time, remember, it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live.